And I think I've got to look. And I go under the water and I'm looking and the visibility is so amazing. And I'm just pulling myself around like this. And as I got half, like 180 degrees, I just saw this shark coming at me. And I remember going, oh my God. You've been sent by the heavens. <laughs> and, and yeah, and I lift my head. I, and I say, okay, now I'm, and I said, please just make it swift. Hit me, bite me in the throat here. And as I did that, I mean, you, you talk about our will to survive and stubbornness. As I did that, I saw his fin. I've got to catch the shark. Because if I can catch it and hold on to his tail, it's going to take, gonna you back take to the reef. me to a reef. What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua Rubin, and this is the Wide Awake Podcast. Are you Today, ready? I have an absolutely incredible guest. He goes by the name of Brett Archibald. He is a family man, a businessman, and an inspirational speaker. He is very well known for surviving 28 hours. I think it was more than 28 hours, right? 28 and a half, Josh. Don't forget the last half hour. The half hour is important. Mm. <laughs> he, is, he is very well known for surviving over 28 hours in the ocean all by himself while defending himself from sharks, many other things, <laughs> fighting the elements. <laughs> anyway, um, I just wanted to say welcome to the studio. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for having me. Really excited to share this story with your listeners. I'm also very excited. I wanted to know, can you tell us about the day, uh, the days leading up to this incident, where you were and why you were there? So we, it's, it's such an interesting lead up because we were 10 mates that some of us had been on this trip a couple of times. Two of them, it was their first time. But it was a group of 10 buddies who'd known each other since grade one almost and stayed in touch even though we lived all over the world. And when we turned 40, we made a pact. We were going to go on these surf trips as often as we can. And so this was my third one. Some of the guys had been six times. Other guys, their first time, as I said. And at the time, I had a business in Cape Town. I was just in chronic trouble. I mean, it, it was, I, I'd uncovered a massive fraud. I just wasn't going to get it, being up, be able to trade out of it. And I went home on the Monday night. We were traveling on the Sunday. And I said to my wife, I'm not going. And I phoned the guys and said, I'm not coming. And they were like, you have to come. You have to come. And my wife spent a lot of time with me that night, Anita, and she just said, Brett, you have to go on this thing. There's nothing you can do about the business. Chill with your mates for two weeks. Come back, clear head, and let's tackle the, the problem. So I phoned the guys and said, I'm coming. And then Friday came. We were leaving on the Sunday, and a fr friend of ours who lives in Dubai phoned to say that he'd been diagnosed with stage 4 melanoma cancer, and he had to be operated on immediately. So he was out of the trip. So we, it, that was a bit of a shock to us. Uh, that Friday night, I went with my family out to a to a wedding, my my uh, my wife's cousin's wedding, her youngest cousin. And this story, in so many ways, is just incredible because there's so many interlinking, interwoven, crazy little stories that all tied up to be the reason I'm here. You know, I'm a firm believer in synchronicity, and Anita's cousin was getting married to an Australian guy. And we got to the wedding. Friday night was a bit weird because nobody knew each other. Saturday we had this wonderful wedding. And at the at the reception, late that evening, this young guy, Australian guy comes up to me and says, oh, I heard you're going on a trip to the Mentawis. And I said, yeah, I'm leaving tomorrow morning. He said, so is my dad. I said, wow. But I said, listen, you know, the Mentawis is a big area. The chances of our, he said, well, just this is my dad's name. Maybe if you bump, you might bump into each other on an island or a surf breaks. So I said, cool. Woke up very early the next morning, not thinking anything about that story. His dad was on the boat that rescued me. It's just insane. We'd booked rooms to, to so, so I got in at 3 a.m. 
some of the other guys got in at 5 a.m. Other guys had got in earlier. So we'd booked this room that we could maybe just kip and have a shower. And the following morning, we all got our stuff onto the plane to Padang, landed at 11 a.m. And one of the reasons we'd all taken that crazy route, everybody had a bad trip in, was because we know the, the storms come there. It's tropical, so the storms come in the evening. And the, the storm, we wanted to hit the get there, get on the boat, set sail. It's, it can be a nine-hour trip. It can be a 12-hour trip. You know, but but if we we knew if we left at nine, we'd miss the storms. We'd be across the across the channel by the time the time the storms came. So we get there, we get collected by our surf guide, and he says to us, "Big problem. I've taken the boat up the river. We the tide had turned. Now we tide dependent. We can only set sail at seven o'clock tonight." I tell you what, there were we were only nine guys. Now we were grumpy. We were miserable. We were tired. We got dumped at this little restaurant place and told we had to sit there and he'd come and pick us up at five o'clock. There's nothing worse than being on a long flight. Yeah, After terrible. that, you just kind of just want to settle in, you know, yeah. sit around at a restaurant. And not so exactly. It was boiling hot. We sit down, had a couple of beers, had a lovely lunch. We eventually get collected. We got taken to our boat. We get on our boat and I, I, I just, I don't know, I just, a sixth sense, just it, nothing was working out. We should have been, got there, got on the boat, set sail. We get, we get onto our boat. We, in our wisdom, had tried to save a couple of dollars. So we'd, we'd been, well, some of the guys had been six times, as I said. We'd, we know the surf breaks. We don't need a big, expensive boat. We don't need an international skipper. We can go with a local guy. Got on this boat. The first thing I started checking was where the life, life jackets they could. We, they were nowhere to be found. But we, we. For, I forgot about that. We go down, unpack our bunks, unpack our boards, and then we eventually set sail. But before we set sail, the skipper came to us and said, "If he, if he can use the chef to to help with getting the boat ready, we can set sail as soon as possible." We said, "Just do whatever you need to do. We want to get out of here." And he got us pizza for dinner. And I always say now, when in Italy, eat pizza and pasta. When in Indonesia, eat nasi goreng and noodles, not pizza. <laughs> we got these three calzoni pizzas. I'll never, I, 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 I can't eat calzoni ever again. And, and we got these three massive ones to share between the nine of us. Where I had a very big friend of mine sitting next to me. He chopped this thing up. And all I remember, the meat was the, the color of this microphone. <laughs> Looking at it actually brings back horrible memories. It stank, Josh. It stank. And I just remember, this is not good. And we tasted it. I said, this is not good. This is not good. I don't even think I ate half of the quarter or third of pizza I got. Banger, my big mate, just wolfed this thing down. Smashed it down his throat. Had a couple of drinks. We all went back up onto the deck. By that stage, we, hit, we threw the river onto the, onto the sea. And it was so interesting because the, the sea started picking up, you know, it as we weren't weren't even a k out to sea, and I could feel the swell was picking up. Anyway, long story short, we we took a couple of photographs. The sun set. We sat on the top deck chatting for a while, but with everybody so tired, the guys started filtering down. I went down to my room. My mate was he was already in bed. I started chatting to him for a while, and I hadn't phoned Anita. The last time I'd spoken to her was in Jakarta. And it was your wife. My wife, yeah. And I quickly, I had a Blackberry at the time, quickly looked at, at my phone, no signal. 
and there's no signal the whole time. There are three places you can pick, and I think that's one of the reasons us guys go there because it's just so epic. You, you don't just get away from everything. Just get away from the real world. And I quickly sent her a BBM. It didn't go through. Anyway, I went to sleep and I said to JM, I said, hey, I'm going to be in trouble tomorrow. Because I mean, my wife, all she'd said to me, please just phone me before you do the crossing and when you get to the other side. So is this crossing known to be quite dangerous? It is. It's, it's, it's either can be the most simple crossing in the whole world, just like cruising on a, on a lake, or it is stormy and wild and crazy. And we, I'd, the previous two times, I'd had one epic trip of no storm. The second one was just wild. So, but we were expecting, and we didn't want another wild one. That's why we wanted to leave early in the morning and just get across. Anyway, we head out to sea. I fall asleep, and I, all I remember is waking up with the boat just smashing. And we were in the bow. We were in the bunk, bunk room in the bow. And I've, I've grown up in the sea. I've never, I'd never known seasickness. I've never felt sick out at sea. I woke up, and I wasn't feeling good. And I said to my mate, he was already awake. I said, geez, Jim, this is a proper storm. But it didn't bug me. I thought, I mean, we've got a good boat here, but I needed to go to the bathroom. And I, I climbed up the ladder, and I, all I saw running down the passage was this friend of mine with a screwdriver in his hand. And I was like, hey, 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 Reggie, what are you doing? And then I heard these cries. He said, help me, help me, help me. And I said, Richie, what's going on? And it was this friend of mine, Banger, but his door was locked. And what had happened, it was a sliding door, and it was banging because the boat was going up, bang, bang. So he got up in the night and locked the door before he went to sleep. And he woke up feeling so horrific. And he went to open the door. And it was a fragile little key. And he bust the key off in the lock. So he was locked in his room. Anyway, Mark puts the, the screwdriver and busts the door open. And the sight that greets me is just Banger emptying his toiletry bag and just vomiting this black bile. It was just like this black tar pouring out of his mouth. And I just thought, my first, I was not a very good friend. My first thought was, I've got to get to the, the bathroom before you, buddy. And I just sprinted down. I had a pair of shorts on. I got into that toilet. I closed the door and I exploded from both sides. I diarrhea and vomiting. Like you, I, I, I managed to get my trousers down. I sat down on this toilet. There was a little basin there. I had my head in the basin. Your ass in the toilet. My bum on the toilet. And I just vomited. And had diarrhea for I didn't know how long. I remember banging my head on the on the on the steel basin, just saying, God, please let this in. I cannot vomit again. You know, when you just got nothing left. And eventually I thought it, it, it they, they, there was a little hand shower there, and I just kept washing all this black bile away. I mean, I was so, sopping, just there was just black stuff everywhere. Washed it all off, and I thought, okay, I feel okay. I need to get some fresh air. I pulled my shorts on, walked outside. Opened the, the door to the back of the boat, a little deck there, and there's Banger lying there. He didn't even try and make a toilet. He grabbed a bucket, or actually a basin, a salad bowl, and he was lying on the floor just vomiting this black stuff. And I said, Banger, are you okay? And he said, Jetman, I, I'm, I'm dying. I said, so am I, Bruce, so am I. But all the, the diesel smoke was coming. The waves were washing over the back of the bow. I, the skipper came out, and, he, and, and our, we had a little tender boat on the back. But it was on a long, long rope. And he said, oh, you've got to bring this thing in because he was scared it would go under a yeah. wave and then just pull the whole back transom off. So he and I pulled it in from 50 meters to 20 meters. I helped bang up the ladder. We get, get to the top. There's this uh, table and, and benches where we sat, where you sit during the day. Banger just flopped down on the cushion. He said, Brett, find out how long we've got to go. 
And I went into the skipper's cabin and all I remember is just looking down, seeing the GPS and seeing our little boat and we weren't halfway through the crossing. And I looked at the time and it was 2.20 a.m. And I'd woken up at half past one because I checked my phone to see if my, my message to Anita had gone through. And I, I, I remember just getting this cold shiver. I thought, I've been sick for 45 minutes. I, I, I've got nothing left in me. So I grabbed two Cokes and I said, Skippy, what is going on? And he said, Mr. Brett, big storm. What we didn't know is five boats had gone out that, that night, four, four international boats and us. All four of those international skippers turned Turn around. around. They saw the storm reading. He, they went back. <clears throat> Our boat... Our boat wasn't in great nick. Some of the bilge pumps weren't working. The boat was taking on water. Our skipper and his wisdom decided to just keep going. And I, I, I was so angry with him. I actually go, I, I didn't hit him, but I just pushed him. I said, Skippy, this is unacceptable. Why didn't you turn around and go back? He said, no, 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 must go forward, must go forward. Anyway, I walked out to the back with these two Cokes from the little fridge there, and I gave one to Bang in, and I said, Bang, we, he said, Brett, how long? And I, I said to the skipper, how long is it going to take? And he said, Mr. Brett, maybe, maybe eight hours, maybe 10 hours. And it was half past two in the morning, like 20 past two. And I'm like, there is no way. We were meant to get there at half past four and be surfing, but in the water by five. Because not only is it unpleasant because of the storm, but the storm's also holding you back. We're not moving. We're going. I mean, the boat is rolling from side to side. It's just smashing in the waves. Anyway, I walk out to Bang and I say, Bang, and I'm holding his Coke. I say, Bang, you've got to drink. You've got to drink. And I down my Coke and he says, I can't. I can't. I, if I drink anything, I'll just throw up. And he starts being sick again. And that got me going. And I put his Coke on the thing. It just went sliding off, off the edge of the boat. I chuck my can in the bin and I just rushed to the railing. And I'm holding on the railing and I vomited. And my entire, I've got a very macabre sense of humor. They, they, that Coke came out like a fire hydrant. Eh? Like, <laughs> I actually spoke to myself. I said, Archie, good one. The second one. And, but in that split second that that happened, I remember thinking, Brett, this is so dangerous. The deck was slipping. The boat was yawing to the side and just smashing. And next to my hand, Josh, was a, was a life raft mounted on the railing. And my br I, 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 I still remember this so clearly, thinking, Brett, just loop your hand through that. This is slippery. If something happens, at least you tie it to the boat, or if you do go overboard, you've got something. The second vomit came. I, I, it wasn't anything like the first one. I just puked all down the front. It just dribbled down the front of me, splattered back in my face. And then I, I remember going on my haunches, and this pain came from the base of my spine up into the, the base of my skull, and it just felt like an explosion. And I remember thinking, if I vomit like that again, I'm going to black out. And that was my last conscious memory. The next thing I was in this, and I was in a washing machine. I was just tumbling over and over and over in this white water. And I, it was the, it was the most bizarre dream because it, it was a dream for me. And I was thinking, hey, this is so cool. Why didn't I do this as a kid, you know, jump in a, jump in a washing machine, chuck some bubbles in and get your mates to switch it on and go round and round. And then the next thing, all I remember is this cold air on my face and all the, I thought my friends were flicking water on my face in my dream to wake me up because I was shouting in my dream. And I remember saying, hey, don't wet my bed, don't wet my bed. And I, <laughs> and I wiped this water off my face and opened my eyes and I was in the ocean. And I just remember looking up and seeing the lights of our boat. They were probably 15 meters ahead of me. And next minute, this little tender boat came shoo, past my head. How it didn't hit me in the back of my head, if it had, it would just crush my skull. It was an a, a aluminum boat. 
And I saw this boat go past uh, in all the registration. My brain was just like firing on a million neutrons. I just saw that. Oh my God, I've got to catch the boat. And I put my head down and I, I don't think I did more than 10 strokes. Lifted my head up by this stage. The tender boat was really 20 meters away. The main boat was 40 meters away. And I remember just treading water. I could see Banger on the, on the seat. The guy was on night duty. He was fast asleep and I admonished him going up the ladder saying, hey, 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 um, you need to wake up. And I, I, I can't even tell you, you know, I've tried to read, I've, I've read the dictionary from front to back to try and find one word. To describe how you felt. That moment. And there isn't a word. I mean, the Afrikaans, there's an Afrikaans word called chrillerich. And I guess that, that, I mean, it's just my entire body. I just got these goosebumps. I remember just treading water. Wave came over me, pushed me down. I came up coughing, spluttering, couldn't see my boat anymore. I'd seen where we were on the GPS and I just knew. You were lost now. I knew. I knew this was it. I, this is where I died. And it was so weird. I mean, as terrifying it was, I was never scared in, in that entire time. In the, it was almost like I accepted it. I love the ocean. The ocean is my church. It's my happy place. I feel closest to God when I'm in the water. And I, just, I remember thinking just so weird. And, and then I heard this hyena. And I'm looking around in the water for this noise. And I actually realized this noise was coming out of, emanating out of my own throat. It was this cackle of a hyena. And it was like this hysterical laughter. And I actually realized I, 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 I was almost like a little bit mad. You know, I'd gone, oh, this is where I'm dying. And I was, and then I got so angry. I, I got so angry. I can't tell you. I, I remember just treading water, looking skywards. And just screaming at God and saying, God, I, I can't use the expletives I use. I, I, I didn't <laughs> hold back. I was like, yeah, I, I just swore and ranted and raved. I was saying, it's not fair. Neat and I've only been married for 10 years. Zara's only, only nine. Jamie's only six. I haven't had time with my family. You can't do this to me. And the most amazing thing happened. I, I just went, Brett, I don't know why I did this. I'd, I'd put a T-shirt on when I went to the top deck because I was really cold. So I had a pair of shorts on and a T-shirt. I put my hand on my wrist and I start, I start counting. And I count 1,001, 1,002 to 15. And then I times it by four. It's a basic way of getting your pulse rate. And all I remember, my pulse was over 180 beats a minute. And I just knew it was adrenaline. I knew the moment that adrenaline stopped, I'd just sink like a stone. I wanted to know, I mean... In that moment, it must have felt like an, you must have had an out-of-body experience, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, mean, it's, I mean, I just... These are the kind of things that you only see on TV, you know? Yeah, and I, I to mean, be, they're not real. They can't happen to me, you know? I mean, to be in that moment and you're sitting there in the water, well, not sitting there, you're swimming in the water and you're watching that boat go away. I mean, did you go into survival mode straight away? No, because I was just screaming and ranting and raving, but the survival mode kicked in. I suddenly started working out my pulse, my brain, I just, I, this absolute calmness came over. I knew for a, without a shadow of a doubt my mates would come back. And then I remember thinking, what did that skip, skipper say? He said 10 to 12 hours. Okay, don't have a good case scenario. Make it a worst case scenario, 14 hours. My mates are going to come back for me. How do I survive for 14 hours in this ocean? It, it's so weird. I broke my neck in 1996. I dived tequila-induced, dived out of a three-story building, butt naked into a swimming pool that was only a meter deep dislocated both my shoulders, snapped my neck. So I've done a lot of yoga and and in that in the sea, it was just incredible. I just, oh, Brett, you've got to calm down. I close my eyes. I'm just treading water. Waves are washing over me. I'm just 
doing a yoga mantra, I'm just going, mm, I'm get, I get completely calm. I check my pulse again. It's way down, like 80 beats a minute. My, my pulse rate is normally about 48, 50. Okay, you've, calm, you've done. Now start thinking, start thinking. My first thought was that the Indonesians are incredible people. I mean, they're the most gentle, beautiful people, but they, they're also very dirty. They chuck everything in the rivers and it all goes out to sea. You thought you were going to be able to find something? I was going to find something. I was going to find something that I could hold on. Then I start getting my prior positive thought. The, year, prior, the prior trip, we'd seen a fridge floating along. I go, Archie, a fridge is going to come. It's going to be full of binteng beer. You're going to climb in the fridge. You're, <laughs> you're going to have be, a good time and wait for your you're friends. You're going to be drinking beer and you're going to wait for your mates to come back. So <laughs> I, making these jokes with myself, I, I, I just got smashed. I, I got pushed under and pushed under and pushed under. And I was trying to swim, trying to lie on my back. It didn't work. I said, okay, just, just do breaststroke and count. Pull your arms, kick your legs, 1,001. Pull your arms, kick your legs, 1,002. Just be calm. And that helped so much because I'd be pulling along. I could see a wave coming, take a breath, go under, and I'm going, and I'm going. So I'd fallen off around 2.30 in the morning. The sun starts peaking, peaking, I mean, dawn's kind of 4.45, quarter to 5 in the morning. So it's dark in the water. I'm thinking, no, what, what, but the sun's going to come out. There are going to be boats and planes looking for me, and then I cramp. My legs buckle under me. My ankles are touching my, my glutes. I'm in such agony. I just can't. And I, I, and I just sink like a stone, and I fight my way back just with my arms, and I'm trying to straighten my legs. I managed to get down. I still can't do it today. Get hold of my toes and pull my legs in the water, but that caused me to sink down, 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 and then I'd have to swim back up, and then I'd cramp again. And I'm it, sure the added stress of it being at nighttime, I mean, that yeah, must have been black. terrifying. Have, have you ever heard of the rat experiment that they did where they took a rat no. and they put it in a box, right? And they completely sealed the box off. And what they did was th there was water in the box and they made them trade water in complete darkness and the rats drowned within a few minutes. Yeah. Then they took another rat and they put it in a box and they poked a little hole at the top with light little bit of light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the rat swam for over 20 hours. Yes, no, no, I have heard that story, but I don't know that it was called that experiment. But it's just, it's absolutely incredible. I, I will share one thing that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, bar the point that I, I'm, a, I'm living proof that modern day miracles exist. Us as human beings are the most incredible creature on this planet. Our ability, to, our, our will to survive is just so potent i mean through that whole experience i gave up eight times I, and i'm not proud of it or anything but i just couldn't carry on and something happened which i'll share with you each time that just made me so angry and stuff you you know i'm going to show you i can do this i'm going to do this i'm going to fight and fight and fight and then i saw the dawn i mean i cramped so much and eventually i got to a point where where I loved MacGyver. I mean, I know MacGyver came back into, into TV, but MacGyver could do anything when I was a kid. And I used to always think I was MacGyver. I, it was so interesting. We had four massive thunderstorms, but the, the raindrops were so heavy on my head that it was sore, you know? So I actually took my T-shirt off, tied like a turban around my head. And then I thought, hey, this is so clever, Brett, because now the rain is catching in the cotton and you can suck the cotton, you're getting fresh water. It was such a ridiculous thought, but it made me gave me a reason, a purpose to carry on because I kept going under waves, you know, so it was just sodden with salt water. 
But I remember being able to lie on my back a number of times, make a funnel with my hands, get some water. Funnel in, all the water through. And get some more fresh water in my mouth. I remember how beautiful it tasted. But, but before it got really light, I cramped so badly all the time. Like, it kept happening and kept happening. I thought, if, if, if it carries like this, there's no ways I can survive. And the weirdest thing happened. I have a shorts and a pair of and a belt on. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to make this. I, I, I have to let people know what's going to happen, what happened to me. Because no one saw me fall. So I take my belt off and I was going to write a message to my family in my skin. Oh my God. So I start scratching. And I was going to say, slipped. I was going to write, accident, slipped, fell overboard, love you. I start writing the A. It starts bleeding. My brain goes, breath, blood, sharks. Sharks are going to come and eat you. What are you doing, you idiot? I throw the belt away. And for some insane reason at that moment, I patted my pocket. And remember I said we'd stayed in Jakarta. I, from, I had my room key in this little plastic pouch in my back pocket. And I had this plastic card, and I thought, Brett, this is... I don't know if you ever saw that movie with... Um, um, oh, God. Uh, it was Castaway. Oh, cast uh, Tom Hanks. I, when I was watching your story last night, yeah. I was literally thinking of Tom Hanks and Castaway. I was like, this is it, literally it, it, Castaway. Me too. I'm thinking of that movie. And, and, I, and I pulled this card out, and I think this, that became my Wilson. You know, you had the little volleyball. I, that, I had this card. I thought, the sun's going to come out. The planes and boats, they're going to be looking for me. I can use the card as a reflector and shine where, and they'll see me. So I put the card in my back pocket. I look at the plastic pouch, a piece of paper, and I think, there's nothing I can do with this. And I throw it, and in front of my eyes, it just goes, Phew. And I suddenly went, current, current, current. I forgot about the card. I swam after that little card. And I honestly, I mean, that was one of the things that's, that kept me sane and saved my life. Grabbed that thing. And what, what I realized, I'd been, something I learned afterwards, another crazy statistic. If you're in a, a strong current, because your, your head and shoulders and your torso are the heaviest part of your body, you'll always face into a current. So although I wasn't swimming to get anywhere, I was swimming against the current all the time. That was making me so tired. The current was doing two and a half k's an hour, and it towed me 72 kilometers from where I fell off to where I was found. So I now turn around with the current, and I tell you what, Josh, I felt I could swim forever. I, I, there was no, um, even though I didn't feel I was in a current, I was swimming against the current. Now I'm going with the current. I thought it was in a magic carpet ride. I can do this forever. I started talking to people, started singing songs. I thought I just got to keep my brain busy, keep my brain away from my situation that I'm in, just count. Swim, kick, swim, kick, swim, kick, talk. And I just spoke. I, I remember going back to my nursery school teacher and I just held conversations with every single person that I could remember in from three years old all the way to my life now. And the most, the, the most poignant thing was there were three people in my life I really despised. I mean, in fact, I could say at the time I hated them. And I, I owned that hate. And, and, and I, while I was in the ocean, I was remember thinking, Brett, why, why have you not let those people go? You've hung on to that anger with those people for so long. They don't think of you. They get on with their lives and they carry on. You're the one who's been sitting with all this anger in you, and this anger is actually eating away at you. Let it go. And I tell you, I, I let it go. It was almost like this cathartic exorcism and that took took out of my body. And I remember shouting, Needs, I've left them. I mean, I said their names. I, I don't want to say their names. I've let these people go. It was another thing. It, I felt like I could swim forever. So I'm doing my paper and I'm swimming and I'm going and I know my mates are going to come 
Another big storm. Sea calmed down quite a lot after that downpour. Swimming along, swimming along. I didn't know, obviously, at the time. I, I was very blessed. I mean, at this by this stage, I've thrown the, the thing off my head. My head is, even though the sun's not out, as I was very blessed. It was very overcast that whole day. The water was warm and a lot of rainfall. Throwing my thing away, I'm just in this pair of shorts. See, it's still pretty much upside down, but it's not as choppy and these big rollers that I had to keep diving under. They were more these big swells, and I'd go up and down as well. I go up the swell, and I look, and I see a, a boat coming. And I go down in the swell, and I go up again, and I see this boat coming. And I knew it was my guys. And did at that point, did you actually think it was the boat, or did you think you were hallucinating? No, no, no. I knew it was the boat. I'd seen it. I knew it was my boys. I am getting rescued now. I am fist pumping myself. I'm so happy. They stop, I don't know, 180 meters away from us. I think, what a clever skipper. He stopped because they've seen me. He doesn't want to bring a 65-foot boat up to me because I could get churned in the yeah. propellers. They're going to bring the little tender boat, pick me up. I'm going to be on board drinking beer with my boys. And I'm so excited. And I'm waving and screaming and shouting. And I can see my big mate, Banger, another friend, Niall Hegarty, all this activity at the back of the boat, which confirms that they're getting the tender boat ready. And the current, I'm at the bow of the boat when they stop. Current takes me past. I'm in the middle of the boat. I'm screaming. I put my head down and I'm trying to swim there. And this current is just pulling me straight past them. Suddenly I'm at the back of the boat. And I'm going, guys, why are you not coming to get me? What I didn't know is they'd seen a piece of polystyrene in the ocean. But it was submerged because it was so waterlogged. And it kept popping up. And they, think and it was they your thought body. it was my dead body. So they waited for it to drift up to, up to them. But in the meantime, the current's taking me past them and back out part... And I, I, I can't tell you, I, again, I mean, I scream and I, I, you have to swim there. I put my head down, I just swam and swam and swam until I couldn't swim anymore. I lift my head up. They still haven't seen me. And next minute I see these two puffs of black smoke come out of the chimneys of that boat and they sail away again because I've now seen the polystyrene. And I mean, how long into your deal was that? 12 hours to the hour. It's in the ship's log. When they stop, they, the skipper put they logged it everything. 2.30 2.30 p.m. So and I've been in the water 12 hours. I mean, to survive that amount of time? Yeah, which is another thing that was crazy. Because Tim Noakes had given me, Professor Noakes, Kino Cummings, heard the story, put it live on radio, phoned Tim Noakes and said, how long has this guy got? And Tim Noakes said, if he's an Olympic athlete, maybe 16 hours, the water's warm, so that's in his favor, but I'll give him 10 to 12 hours. But to have survived that already and gone through all of the things you had gone through, mentally, physically, everything. Yeah. And then to see it right there. I know. I mean, that's almost worse than not seeing them at all. Yeah, well, it, it was worse because I, I can tell you that moment when I watched them sail away, I, I, I can't, again, I mean, I can't even tell you the language I use. I could not, I knew that was my only chance of hope. It's not a shipping channel. There are no boats. It's only surf charter boats. I knew in that storm, no surf charter. It would only be my guys looking for me and they've stopped and they've gone. I thought I had a meltdown when I found myself in the ocean 12 the hours time. earlier. That moment, I, I literally, I felt like my brain was turning into liquid. It, it was literally just boiling and, and just flowing out of me. I mean, I, being in the seawater as well. I mean, you must have been swallowing salt. No, it's my stomach. Interestingly, that, that, that's a very good question because I often forget this. I, I, because I couldn't help it. I have to swim with my mouth open. I swallowed so much salt water, which distended my bladder so much. Another thing that, that working with Tim Noakes said saved my life because now my bladder is so full after we. 
the pain of weeing warm salt water out your urethra is just it's, beyond. It's like pushing a burning. Everybody says, describe it. It's like pushing a burning hot poker right through your urethra. Especially after being so sick as yeah. well. I mean, you must have felt so fatigued. No, I was, I was just... Ah, I, I, I mean, I remember feeling sorry for myself so many times. And then... So those 12 hours, I have to be honest. I mean, they went by so quickly. I don't know because it was the power of positive thought that I knew my boys were going to come back. Now my boys are back. They go away. I, I, I can tell you I gave up. I mean... I watched them sail into this, and I saw this another massive squall coming across the ocean. It just came at this, it comes like a whipping rate. It's just this, this black, dark cloud just whipping across the ocean. The boat disappeared from sight, just came over me, smacked me, and I remember, again, I got quite a lot of water, I remember at that time, and then it was gone. And I, but I was just spent. I had nothing left. I remember just saying, God, please, can I just sink to the bottom? I can't carry on anymore. And the most amazing thing happened. I looked up and there was this white plume of water coming up out the sea. And I, I, I mean, I, I remember looking at the going, that, that can't be real. It can't be real. But in it was the Virgin Mary. But she was made of Meccano set. You're too young to know what Meccano yeah, set was. Meccano yeah. so, set was exactly like Lego became but it was steel it was bits of steel you got nuts and bolts and wheels and you can make cranes and cars i loved it i loved mccona said but in this plume of water is this virgin mary with her head tilted to the side her palms together and i look at it and i just knew it wasn't real but i, was, I started having this whole conversation with god saying what is this about what are you is are you, are you is it is it my time to go is this is this what i'm going to see just before i go and I told you this is a story. It's, I mean, it's a love story. It's a story about synchronicity. It, it's, it's just a crazy... At that time, so that must have been around 3 o'clock in the, in, in the afternoon now. My boat's gone. It's 9 o'clock in the morning in Cape Town. My wife's got all her family there because they, they've come straight from the wedding. I'd fallen off and they, they were all still in Cape Town. So they're all gathered at my house. I was just about to ask how your wife and your family reacted. So Anita's got... The guys on the boat got to the other side. They realized I wasn't there. They started searching for me. They turn around. They come out. They tell the skipper to go and report it. The guys gather together. They say, we've got to let Anita know. They chose one, one of the, the, the wives of, of a good friend of mine. That Our wives are good, very good friends. And she went around and told Anita. She collapsed, just fell on the floor. She had, she's Greek, pitch black hair. Her hair went completely white in 24 hours. 24. White, 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 white. She's, she tells me, always tells me she's going to spend all my money on keeping her, on her hair dyed for the rest <laughs> of her life. But she calls the whole family together at that time and she prints out the picture of the, the crossing of the Mentawi Straits. She's a very spiritual woman. She takes a picture of me that she had in her, in her handbag or in her purse from the day we met. We started dating. Puts it in the middle of this thing and she makes a little shrine and an and altar and she puts three candles in. And the first candle, she says a prayer to all, all of them holding hands and asks God to send a legion of angels to find me. The second uh, candle, she prays to the Virgin Mary to hold me as only a mother can hold a child. And being Greek, being Greek Orthodox, the third one, she prays to St. Saint, Saint Anthony, patron saint uh, of finding of, of, of travelers and and Saint Expedite, the patron saint of finding things fast. Two crazy things. I mean, Saint Anthony, my second name's Anthony. 
I got married. I got married in the Greek church in, in Greece, got called Andoni. I'm not even married as Brett. I'm married as Anthony or Andoni. The Virgin Mary is the patron saint of the seas. Her patron saint's day is the 8th of September. My birthday is on the 8th of September. I don't know any, any of this. They don't know any of this. I've seen the Virgin Mary. It disappears. But as that hallucination disappears, eh? ahead of me I see a boy. To this day, I mean, I still see it as, as a, it was a, it was this bright red boy floating on the ocean. It had a bell on it. I heard this clanging and this yellow light going round on the top. And it was far away, but I knew I could swim there. And I start swimming, and I'm, go, I'm, I'm rescued. MacGyver kicks in again. I'm pumped. I don't know if you know this. I didn't know at the time, but it, well, I knew. Every boy in the ocean has got a, a signal. A, a, a tracker. A, a tracker on yeah. it. I'm going to swim to that thing. It's got a little ladder. I'm going to climb up the side. I'm going to be sitting there. I'm going to take the tracker apart. I don't know how I was going to do it, but I was going to do it. Send a SOS. I can do Morse code. A helicopter is going to pick me up. I'm going to be flown back to my boat, and I'm saved. And I swam up to this thing. I swam up. I got so close. And then I cramped, and I just thought, but you have to swim. And I remember putting my head down thinking it's 10 strokes from here to your cupboard. And you just couldn't do it. And I know I could. I swam. I lifted my head, and there was nothing there. And I looked around, and I looked around, and Professor Noakes explained to me, by this stage, I'm so dehydrated. I've got so much salt water in me. My brain is just completely hallucinating. And I'm screaming, I'm screaming, I'm crying. Like, where is this boy? I've saw it, it was so real. I remember lying on my back and just saying, okay, I've done my best. I, I can't do anymore. I just wanted to sink down. And the next minute, my neck, the back of my head, my ears, my throat were just on fire. And suddenly I look around me, everywhere around me is just all these baby little, we call them ball bites, like these baby jellyfish, jellyfish uh, Portuguese man of war things. And they are stinging and I actually am cheering. I'm going, I know how I die. This is going to happen. It was right a now. big thing for me. I, d I wanted to know what, what ends my life. I'm being stung to death. I'm going to sink to the bottom. And in that second, my brain fries. I get so angry and I start screaming at these things. And I'm just pushing them out the way. My fingers are on fire. Suddenly they're over there. The currents pulled me through. I'm on fire. But I am so angry. And, and, and Tim Noakes said, he said, that was just an incredible thing. Your adrenaline was pumping. I was talking to them. I was saying, I'll show you. I can keep going. You're not going to. It's not, amazing. You how, are not killing me. It's amazing how far human will and stubbornness can take you. It's unbelievable. So I, off I go. I'm swimming again. My neck's on fire. I'm so angry. I'm going along. I think I fell asleep. I mean, I, well, I know I fell asleep. But when I say fell asleep, I'm swimming. My wife was, t Anita was tickling my back. And it was just so amazing. It's like you're and in I, and out of consciousness kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, so it, but it's seconds, you know, like when you're, having, when you're sleeping and, you, and you're falling and then you suddenly, goof, you wake up. I, and next minute, the back of my legs are just on fire and I look down and, and I go, wow, and I, so I think I've gone, doof. These things are, it was tiny little fish that were nibbling my skin. But because I had this pair of shorts on, the back of my knees were just so worn away from just doing breaststroke, there was raw flesh. These little fish started nibbling that, and I woke up, and then this thing clapped me in the back of my left kidney up. Boom! And I thought, and my first thought it was a barracuda, because they just barracuda all over the place. Here. And I thought, ah, now I know how I die. A shoal of barracuda, they'll strip a human body in 10 seconds. And then this thing pushed me again, but pushed me in the water, and I went, that's not a barracuda. That's something a little bit bigger. That is a lot bigger than a barracuda. And I just thought, oh, it's a shock. And I'm looking around for this fin, and I can't see anything. 
and I think I've got to look and I go under the water and I'm looking and the visibility is so amazing and I'm just pulling myself around like this and as I got half like 180 degrees I just saw this shark coming at me and I remember going oh my god You've been sent by the heavens. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and I lift my head. I, and I say, okay, now I'm, and I say, please just make it swift. Hit me, bite me in the throat here. And as I did that, I mean, you, you talk about our will to survive and stubbornness. As I did that, I saw his fin. And it was a black, black tip reef shark. And I know, I mean, I've dived a lot in my life and, I've, and I know they inherent in that part of the world. And I think, and they don't like big open ocean. There's got to be a reef number. And my brain just switches in milliseconds, I've got to catch the shark. Because if I can catch it and hold on to his tail, it's he's going to take, you back to, take the reef. me to a reef. It was the most bizarre thought. And I love, I love um, Bear, uh, Bear Grylls. I love watching him. I, I even said these words. I said, Bear Grylls, take off your mask, bro. I'm going to catch the shark. Because he catches crocodiles and all those kind of I'm going to catch the shark. And I'm thinking he's coming at me. I thought, okay. Archie, you've got to sidestep him. As he comes, you've got to get out of his way, and then you've just got to throw your arms around him and just make sure you get your, your hand over this tail area. You grab mean, his fins. Grab his, his tail fin and just... Then I thought, no, that's going to work. And it, it, this is how amazing the human mind is. In that split second, I also think, damn it, Brett, I think just throw your left arm down his throat. Get, get out, throw his left arm. You might lose your arm, but then you, you've got him stuck on your arm. And just... Hold on, and the fin will push you like a propeller. And in that split second, I thought, you're such a numpty because you threw your belt away after I you tried to write that him. message. No, I thought, I, I'm going to need a tourniquet. I'm gonna, my arm's going to be bleeding. And, and then I just, and in that, that split, I mean, this is milliseconds, all this is happening. The shark flicks his tail and he's gone. I mean, it's the only time I cried. At that time, you probably thought that that was a rational train of thinking. Yeah. I, I, well, it was completely <laughs> rational. When I look at it now, it's a sign of a complete lunatic. Imagine, actually, if you got a hold of the shark. What I would have done. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I am so blessed. I've got, had a life coach my whole life. And, and I, I, I mean, I just spent so many hours with her after this thing. And I remember sitting, telling her that part of the story. And she looked at me and said, Brett, how bizarre was your life that you were? I started crying. Because the shark's gone. She said, you, you're crying because the shark's, the shark's gone away you. and not coming to eat you. <laughs> what rational thought is there? I was so upset with that shark. She and then I think I fell asleep again. I mean, I got dived bombed by seagulls. I got a huge big... And I, can, I actually wanted to know because I, I saw that the shark wasn't actually the most dangerous no, thing. No, the came seagulls were worse. To, eh? Can you tell us about what happened with the seagulls? Well, I think I fell asleep again. Well... well Nodded off briefly, and I think I must have been floating on the water. And this, all I remember is the smack on the back of my head, lifting my head up. And the next minute, my left eye and my nose, just it was just blood and feathers and the squawking and the screaming. And I, I, I still can't believe that happened. It was like, what? I've got blood running down on the inside. Of my, I'm licking the blood going. And these two seagulls are squawking and dive-bombing me. And, I mean, I've spoken to, to the NSRI guys they're actually complete scavengers. I mean, they often find when your body, you sink first. They're like the crows swell, of the sea. They're the crows of the sea. And they'll land because you, you normally your body swells up and then they'll land and they pick all your, they pick your eyes out. They pick your lips, eat your lips around your ears because that's all the softest and most, most um, easy accessible flesh for them. But these two bloody seagulls are bombarding me and, and then they squawked and flew away. Because I, I, I now have a plan, another MacGyver plan. I'm going to catch one. I'm going to eat him. 
because I'm so hungry. And I thought, you know what, catch him, bite his head off, squirt the blood down your throat. You've got some nutrient in you. And then I, I, even with the feathers, I would have chowed that thing. I would have pulled them apart like a raw chicken. It's a proper bear girls move. Proper. I, I watched mean, Bear Girls for a long time, and you know, people give him so much flack for the show not being real. Yeah. But it's like, it's a survival guide. Yeah. It's not saying exactly. I'm doing this stuff 100%. Exactly. It's a survival guide. Exactly. And, and, I, the, and, and he has eaten, I've watched him eat a whole rabbit, <laughs> skin it, and chow that. I've thing. also seen him so, eat some pretty so gnarly stuff. He does some gnarly stuff. So I'm thinking this, and the two, two of them squawk at me and go. They leave, they fly away. But as they fly, I said, somewhere in, and this is again how amazing our brain is. I've read, I'd read that seagulls, they can float on the ocean like ducks, but they don't like to roost in water. They don't like to sleep like a duck in water. They, they like to roost on terra firma, so be it on a boat mast or on land. These two things are squawking. I see the sun breaks through the cloud for the first time, the sun's setting, the sun sets in the west. They flying west, I go, I'm traveling west. I go, I'm going to hit land. They, they don't fly miles and miles out to sea. I'm going to hit land before nightfall. And how long into the ordeal was this? This was kind of just, the, so it's the, the balance of the night, the whole day now, it's getting nighttime for the second night now. Okay. And I'm, I'm just thinking, please, I have to hit land because I can't go through another night. I can't go through a night. And there was the weirdest thing. I watched the suns. It got darker and darker and darker, but... but but I don't remember, it wasn't, it was almost an immediate transition. I remember it being daytime and next minute it was nighttime because I was swimming along. The sea had calmed down dramatically by then. It was just these big undulating waves. I look ahead of me, I saw all these jellyfish. I started cramping again, but big the big uh, box jellyfish, you know, the big floating ones like that. Yeah. And again, I, might, I remembered a story from a kid growing up in Durban. This kid walked along the beach. He picked up a box jellyfish, put it on his head, he said died. to his folks, yeah, he died. My, my, pay, my pa, cake may hoot. And I remember being so devastated by that story because we were little grommets. We were growing up in Durban. We surfed all the time. We used to pick those things up and throw them out the way. It'd sting you a bit, but get out of the way. I need to surf, you know? And this kid died. And I see these things coming and I, and I, 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 I now know how I'm going to die. I'm going to put one on my head. I'm going to push one down my throat and swallow it. And I'm going to hold one against my throat. And I drift into them, and I just remember screaming in agony. Just my body was on fire. But instead of thinking about killing, I, it made me again like the like the blue bottle. It made me so angry. I, I throwing these things with my hand. I plop, 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 plop. Suddenly, I'm out, just covered in in these welts all over my body. But again, anger, pumped up adrenaline. I go, I'm going to show you. You're not. Going to put me down. I'm, I'm going to survive. I'm going to survive this. Mm. Land is nearby. I'm going to hit it. I think, I mean, I started hallucinating properly at that stage. I, I know I saw a Dutch East India boat. These two guys sailed up to me. Uh, they threw an anchor down, a, a rope ladder, went clunk, clunk, down, down the side of the boat. I swam to get it. Professor Noakes explained to me I, I was hallucinating so badly. I think I was probably asleep. I was having these dreams. But it's split-second stuff. The action of going to grab that ladder, there was nothing there. I coughed, spluttered, woke up. There's nothing you there. You just kept falling into the water. I saw another little kid, two kids paddle up to me in a pair of how canoe. They say, Mr. Mr. We come save you. I remember saying to the kid, he was such a funny looking kid. He had the worst teeth. I said, thank you, boys. Thank you. I'm going to take you back to Cape Town with me. I'm going to have your teeth fixed for you. <laughs> <laughs> I go and grab the boat and there's nothing there. But then I do, then 
it's uh, I think I was g- drifting in and out of lucidity and I'm hallucinations. Sure, yeah. I'm just and then I then then I saw the moon. I, I mean, it was so real, and I knew it was real because the sea was calm. I was pinching myself. Is that the moon? I saw the the Southern Cross. I was a Boy Scout. I did my seven and a half, two and a half times down. I'm still going west. All is good. I'm going to hit land. And then I saw these these three stars on top of the water. I was like, no, 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 no. There's something wrong here. There's no stars on the water. And I suddenly went. It's it, it was lights from villages in the jungle. There's a pinprick of light there, pinprick of light there, pinprick of light on the right. And I went, that's land, that's land. I didn't know at the time, we're still 38 k's away. I would never be enough to swim there. But in my mind, I saw that first light, I thought, Brett, swim. And I knew I could make it. I said, even if I have to swim all night, and I'm just keeping my eye on that light, and I'm swimming and I'm swimming, and it seems to be coming closer, but it's I'm drifting past it. And then I go past the first one, past the second one, past the third one, and then it's all black again. Was it just stars? No, it was it was villages. It was actual villages. Villages. I didn't. I mean, I only found out that the next day when I was rescued. But but I knew it was land. But in my mind, I'd been sucked down that Mentawi channel, and I was now in the big sea, and I'd missed the land, and I hadn't drifted. So and then I just went, I can't do this. And before we get into how you were rescued and your final kind of hours and moments in the ocean, yeah. I want to know. Can you tell us a little bit about? Because I know that your friends were out looking for you. But there was also another group that was out looking for you as well. Can you tell us a little bit there about was, them? I didn't know at the time, but when my when our skipper of our boat went he, by, by by maritime law, he has to go and register someone overboard. So he'd gone into the 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 um, port authority's office in Tourpajet where they'd sailed across to, and he'd he'd logged that I was missing overboard and that they were going back to look for me. But there was another boat in there. So when you leave the mainland, you've got to check your boat out. And when you arrive in the main towers, you've got to let the port authorities know you're there. They were on their way back the next day. So they wanted to register that they were going back the next day. And they were in, and their little guy in there heard our skipper telling the port authority, he runs, runs back to their boat, this Aussie guy, guy called Tony Eltherington, also with nine guys on their boat. Also they should known have as been Doris. 10. Doris. <laughs> His nickname's Doris because he says it. I used to look like Doris Day when I was younger. <laughs> anyway, they run to him. This storm is raging. He says, they, they call him, Doris, 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 there's a sapphire overboard. And he goes, where? And he, he tr- gets on the radio, tries to get our guys. Our radio is not on. He runs to the Port Authority, finds kind of, here's where they'd given, where they thought I'd gone overboard. He goes back to his boat. He says to these guys, I'm going to look for the sapphire who's coming with me. And it was incredible because those guys were their last, their last two days of surf trip was really expensive. So there were two doctors on that boat. The two doctors and a lifeguard jump in there. They had a really good um, tender boat, two big 175s on the back, and they went out into that storm. And why do you think they did that? Oh, Doris is just, that's Doris. You know, he says you never leave anybody behind. I mean, he's a sea guy. He's been in the ocean his whole life. He, if, I think I would do the same. I mean, we had lots of debate about around it about the guys would they have gone of our guys for someone else for someone else. I mean, I I I don't know so much. You know, I'm I, he just said I'm going to look for this guy. But there's such an interesting story to that. His best friend died the morning I, I fell overboard, and Doris knew he was di- he knew he was dying he had cancer, and so this was Wednesday morning. He was due to fly back on Friday back to Australia when they docked 
together with that whole crew back to Australia and he wanted to sit with his mate. His mate passed away, family phoned him. His crew told me he was like this man possessed. He was just marching up and down. I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe he's dead. I've got to get back there. I've got to see his body. And then he got a call a little bit later to say that they'd read his will and he wanted to be cremated. So they were going to cremate him that day. And as soon as they got their ashes, scatter them in the ocean. And they said he was devastated. And they said it was almost like he, he couldn't rescue his buddy. But he can rescue He was going to come and find me. Amazing, eh? Just amazing. And, and just once again, all of these things that just lined up. Yeah. So he goes out. He goes out. He eventually makes radio comms with, with, my, with my boat. He's searching on where, where he thought I would be. They on the, he thinks they're on the same trajectory, so all is good. I don't see any of those boats. They eventually get called back. So they went out at about midday. Our boat left, turned around and went back just after 10. They went out about midday, 9 p.m. that night. The, the Port Authority called them in because if you, if you are jeopardizing your, your, your vessel or your crew in, in a search and rescue and the weather's bad, you've got to come in. It's, it's law, you know. So he calls them in. And they said he got back to the, they got back to the main boat and they said he just, they got back just after midnight, cleaned up. They said he just walked up and down saying, just screaming, I should have found him, I should have found him. And the most radical thing happens. He sees, he goes for a pee overboard and he sees a bunch of coconuts floating along and they were going the wrong way. He says the current's going the wrong way. Uh, and what had happened, because of the severity of the storm, the current always goes north to south. And that current should have towed me straight back. I would have been on the beach of one of the islands in eight hours. But because of the severity of the storm, the current had changed. And I actually was doing like a horseshoe and going back out to sea. And that's what happened to me. I came down like this. I saw the land. And went back out and again. And I got turned and back out. So he just, he, he just got a case of coconuts and every 10 minutes threw a coconut in the water because he knew the next morning, he knew I'd be on the current. And he was going to put someone on the bow and just follow the, the coconuts. That's unbelievable, eh? So I'm now swimming out there. I've, I've had another whole lot of hallucinations around. I saw my friends, each one of them step off the back of the boat, say to me, swim, Archie, swim. Every time I got to their hands, there was nothing there. And again, Tim Noakes explained, I was just hallucinating, grabbing. I formed a company in my head. I had voices for, I named my nostrils, Emily and Hillary, sales, <laughs> marketing. My mouth was production, Bob. I was the CEO, I was having conversations with them just to keep my, my mind going and so I didn't fall asleep and I just remember, I remember th these girls screaming at me saying, look at the boss asleep on the job and I remember saying, girls, I can't lift my head up anymore, I'm done, I'm, I've, it's time to go and Bob shouting at me, the production, he said, boss, if you don't lift your head, I can't breathe, if I can't breathe, I can't kick my legs, lift your head, I lifted my head and I saw my boat there and each of my mates and I remember swimming and, I, and the last guy, it was just like so surreal because he stood there and he didn't step over. And I looked at him, I said, Craigie, you're not here to rescue me, you're here to say goodbye. And he just nodded. And it was the most peaceful moment. I knew, I, I, it, I, I just knew that was it. He's giving, he's saying I can go. And I said all my goodbyes and I let go and I just sank like a stone. I just went down so fast. But the, what the interesting thing is going down so fast, my ears getting sore. Because now I'm going deeper and deeper and deeper. Everything starts bursting. And, and my brain starts thinking, Brett, equalize, equalize. And, and I'm thinking, why do you want to equalize? You're dying. And I got so angry again. I hold my nose. I'm equalizing. I, t I start fighting my way, clawing my way back to the top. And I get to the top, bursting, exhausted, 
splattering water. And like day had become night, night had become day. It was daytime. And I saw land, and the sea was just like this perfect, perfect, it was like a mirror. And I was like, you're going to be rescued today. There are going to be fishing boats everywhere. I can see land. I started swimming to the closer island. Got exhausted very quickly. Took my little piece of paper out. Put in the water. Realized I was swimming against the current. Turned around. Got to go to that thing. Start swimming. As I turn around to swim that direction, I see a little Indonesian fishing boat. I can hear these guys talking. They're hand fishing. They're pulling nets around. I scream. I thought... I screamed and I made a normal noise. My tongue was so swollen. At that point, you probably couldn't speak very I well. Couldn't yeah. speak. I couldn't even... My tongue was so swollen. But also, also during the night, my, my teeth were chattering and my tongue was so swollen, I was biting chunks of my tongue off. So at one stage, I was swimming with my finger, two fingers, my index fingers in my eye sockets and with my thumb holding my jaw closed and just swimming with one hand because... My teeth were chattering so badly. I'm biting. And you know when you bite your tongue, I'm badly it bleeds. And I'm just thinking, all this blood, the sharks are going to eat me. So now my tongue is so, so I can't call these guys. So I start swimming up to them. I think I can swim there. And they're going to be fishing all day. Now I'm happy because I've, I, I, I actually never wanted to hit land. Because I thought if I hit land, even if I find someone with the phone, I, don't, I mean, I don't speak Bahasa. They don't have international dialing. Whom, I don't know anybody in Indonesia. At least you'd be safe, though. At least I'd be safe. But I wanted to get on a boat that mm. I could radio and I could use the radio and go onto an international um, um, network and just call an SOS. So now I see this boat. I start swimming up to them and I, my macabre sense of humor, I think I'm going to swim under, grab one of their lines, pull it. Pull them. <laughs> they will pull me up and I'll go, ha, ha, ha. So I'm laughing to myself swimming up to this boat and I hear their engines start up and they sail away. Oh, my goodness. And I'm just, no, 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 no. I can't, and how I far can't. were you away from them when that happened? I, I don't think I was 50 meters away. I can't believe they didn't see me. I was trying to shout. I couldn't make a noise with my mouth. And that, that moment, I mean, I hate telling that, this part of the story, but, but I, I'd, I'd, I'd wanted to die, and I'd wanted it to be easy and just slip down many times. But this, by this stage, I just, and I actually made a conscious decision to end my life. And I thought, how am I going to do that? And I tried to put my face in the water and just fill my lungs with water, and I couldn't. So I swam down. I was probably, I don't know, a meter deep. I remember lying on with my arms akimbo, looking upwards. It was the most beautiful day, and I just took this massive breath. And we can actually breathe water in. I filled my lungs with water. I breathed out. And the most interesting thing, my tongue was so sore, this warm salt water coming out. I would go, ah, 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 that's sore. And I remember actually saying, Brett, you're killing yourself. Stop worrying about pain. Breathe in water again, out. Ah, ah. Third time I did it, I, I, my brain fried. I just went, what? You stupid asshole. What are you doing? Look, there's land. You've seen one boat. It, it's going to be, because it's a fishing industry. There's going to be hundreds of boats in there. Fight. I remember clawing my way to the surface, head popping through, vomiting up liters and liters of water. And I saw this black cross. On the horizon. Was the mast of a ship? No, I thought it was black. I just saw a black cross. I said, Gee, God, what is that? Well, what is that? Another sign. I'm sick of your sign. Shove it where it fits best. And I'm treading water, just watching this black cross, watching it, and I said, I'm not getting excited. And so it got bigger and bigger, and it was the top bit of the mast of the Baron Joey, the yacht with Doris on it. And he had a guy, and they came closer and closer. 
suddenly I see the bow of the boat, I see the hull of the boat, I see the mast, I see the rigging, there's this guy on the front and he's pointing left and right. I'm thinking, what is he doing? He's looking, they were just taking turns, following the coconuts. Now they're coming along like this at me, coming along, coming along, and then they turned, I found out afterwards, one degree to starboard. And I was like, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? I mean, why? And they start going that way, and I thought, okay, you have lost decision to make in your life. I'm, I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to swim for the count of 300. I'm not lifting my head up once. I'm going to count 300. When I lift my head up, I'll either, that boat will be there, and I'll hit it, and they'll or find me, done. or I'll have exhausted myself. I'll just sink like a stone. And I do that. And I remember I went to the same school as Chad LeClaw. He just won the Olympics. I said, Chad, help me swim like you swam. I, go, I thought I was like a dolphin. I thought I was going along in the water. 299, 300. I lift my head. The boat is there. And I scream. I thought I, <laughs> joking, I thought I said like, over here, chaps. When I got on board, I said, guys, did you hear me screaming? And they said, yeah, mate, we thought there was a wounded buffalo in the ocean. <laughs> but it was so incredible because I screamed. The guy looking, pointing, suddenly lifted his head up. He looked to the right, I, and I was on the, on, the, on the port side of the boat. I said, look left, look left. And suddenly he turned around. But one of the little guys up on the mast had a pair of binoculars, and he just shouted down. He said, hey, Doris, there he is on the left. And I saw the boat swing towards me and just come. And they say I came out the water like a water polo goalie. I remember just going, and I remember sinking back into the water, just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, knowing I'm being rescued. And as I hit the water, I cramped every muscle in my body. I think the exertion I used to like wave, and I was so excited that they'd seen me, and I just went down like a stone. And the last thing I saw was just off the front of this boat, this guy comes sprinting and dive. And as my head went under the water, he, but I was up. so at peace. And I was just sinking down, and and I didn't even fight, or I didn't even try and swim up. Because you I, knew that you were, I was you were gone. in hands. Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even know that what he was doing. I. That's the last thing I saw. But I thought, you're too far away from me, buddy. It's just too little, too too much, too too little, too late. And I was just going down. I was going down like a stone. And I remember saying to Neat. I said goodbye to my son, my daughter, my, uh, my wife. I said, Neat, yeah, I gave it everything, but at least I know you'll get my body. And I was just going down, down, down. And next minute, this arm came in under my right arm and under my left armpit, and I, my downward trajectory stopped. And next minute, I was going up again. And then my head broke the surface, and I just heard this voice say, we've got you, mate, we've got you. Beautiful Australian accents. Really, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, it, it's such a way. I never liked Australians, but... <laughs> you love them now. I w ended up being business partner with the Australian. I was rescued by the Australians. My, my niece lives in Australia. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, a whole three others of them had jumped. They'd thrown this life boy in. They towed me to it. They tied me onto it. They towed me. They had a little crane thing to lift me out the water. Yeah, but there was a nine-foot ladder there. I, they got me to this ladder. I just pulled out of their clutches and I... Sprinted up the ladder. Scampered up that ladder. They were like, no way. And I got to the top. I said, Aussie, 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 I love you guys. I'm moving to Australia tomorrow. And I'm I, moving to I saw, because I saw the footage of oh, your you rescue. Seen that, yeah. And I swear it was like the most South African rescue ever. Yeah. You, just, you just looked so happy. Yeah. Obviously, you would be. Yeah. And you were just like... You know, I don't, I'm not a religious man, Yeah, but someone up there was well, watching me. That brood. man up there was looking after me that entire time, man. I mean, yeah, what was, was that insane. feeling like when you got yeah, onto I the boat? 
Well, I got to tell you, I mean, they're, 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 that one picture made international headlines on the front page of like seventy-five newspapers of you around the a world burger. of me. No, of me running up the running up the ladder and getting to the top. And they all said how amazing I looked. I mean, I got to the top. Thank God there were two doctors on board. I mean, I told them I'd just tried to drown myself. They immediately turned me over and just started beating me on their, their to get all the water. I would have been dead in two hours. If I got on my boat, and my mates, we've all spoken about it, I myself would have probably downed a two-litre liter Coke. I wouldn't even thought about the secondary drowning things. I know some of my mates would have given me a beer and I probably would have drunk it. I would have been dead in two hours if I hadn't got on that boat. They, 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 they took seven liters of water out of my lungs. They, the doctor, the one doctor who's a top, top urologist there, couldn't find a pulse on me. Took my, my blood pressure was 64 over 48. I mean, he just said, there's no heartbeat here. I remember saying to Tim Noakes, how much longer could I have gone for? And he said, Brett, I gave you 10 hours to 12 hours. You lasted 28. And he said, you defied all the odds. But he said at that blood pressure, you would have been swimming and your heart would have been going ba-boom. Would have just stopped? Ba-boom. <clears throat> and then just would have, you wouldn't even know. You would have just sunk like a stone. So I said, tell me how long. He said, well, I, I, at that blood pressure, still having to swim probably 10 minutes to half an hour tops. So they got you just in time, eh? Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about synchronicity timing. It's just insane. And I mean, once you, once you were rescued and you were back on land, and you were able to call your, your wife and your family again. I mean, what was that conversation well, I never got, like? I never got to land. I mean, I was on, on the boat with the Aussies for, for eight hours, seven and a half hours. And then my boat, that's how my, my guys had gone all the way back to where we started, all the way back. They caught up to us. We had this fabulous reunion with the Aussies and the South Africans, and we were all on their boat for a while. But then, I, I mean, I just started, I, I just... It was so insane. I mean, I was I was completely manic. I was just talking and got onto my boat. We tried to reach my wife. We couldn't reach her by then. She'd been told, though, that I'd been found. Got onto my boat. I phoned my wife. It was an amazing, amazing conversation. And I just said to and she had a helicopter on standby to come and fetch me, bring me back to South Africa, well, back to Padang, back to Jakarta, Singapore, home. And I said to her, I'm not coming back. I'm going to finish the surf trip. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most South African thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> no, but Josh, I have to tell you, if I'd come back then, I would be in Falkenberg or some mental institution. You would have gone crazy. I, my brain would have fried. You need I mean, time my brain, to decompress. I had to, I had to make peace with God. I, I, I'd really berated and slated and annihilated God. I had to make peace with myself. I mean, and and I had to make peace with the ocean. I mean, the ocean is my, it's my church, it's my happy place. And if I hadn't gone back in there. So that night I collapsed at about half past seven. My, my mates were amazing to me. The Australians had been amazing. But interestingly, what became the book while I was there seven hours, I just wrote. I just filled this whole little um, scrapbook up that they gave me. With all your I thoughts. Carried, and write, carried on writing when I got on our bo boat. And I think I passed out at about seven o'clock and, and I woke up at midnight. So I hadn't slept. By the time I, I first slept, I had, hadn't closed my eyes, well, bar nodding off in the water. I hadn't closed my eyes and slept properly in something like 105 hours. So I passed out like a, like just dead to the world. But I woke up after four and a half hours of sleep and our boat was like a morgue. I mean, everybody has collapsed. And I went to sit where I'd fallen overboard because I still could not get my head around how I'd fallen overboard. I mean, I'm a boat guy. How did that happen? And I remember sitting there looking at, looking at the pole, remembering 
thinking, why didn't I link my arm through that? And I just started sobbing and sobbing. I was just crying and crying. And this little arm came out from this cabin behind me, and it was the skipper. And he just put his arm around my shoulder, and he was crying, and I was crying. It was the most, we sat in the most companionable silence for, and suddenly the sun started coming up, just this peak of the ray of dawn. And I said, Skipper, you got to put me back in the ocean. And he said, Mr. Brett, I'm not, I tie you to boat. I tie you to boat. <laughs> You're never getting back in the ocean. You're never getting back. And I said, if you don't put me back there, I'm actually going to, I know my brain will fry. And thank God two of my mates had, had woken up as well. And three of us went out. And it was the most beautiful day, perfect surf. I threw my board away and I dived over the, the little tender boat. And I just knew I had to just sink down. And I remember sinking down and my brain literally frying. I thought there were springs just jumping out my head. I just have, just calmly said, Brett, just calm down, just calm down. You have to work through this because otherwise you'll never go back in the sea. And I actually just pulled myself into a little ball and I just sank right down until I was bobbing and until I couldn't hold my breath anymore. And then I just, this calmness came over me. I swam to the top, put my leash on, poof, and I went back and I surfed for most of the day. Must have been amazing, that feeling. Eh? Knowing just, that you're back in the place that you love. Yeah. But you're safe now. But I have to tell you, there were many times over there. So we carried on the surf trip there about three or four times. I'd surf a wave and then I'd just run up the beach and just run into the jungle. I mean, one time I just found myself bashing my forehead against a, a coconut tree until I was bleeding down the front and tasting the blood. Because I, I, there were times I didn't, I felt like I, I, I was hallucinating. I wasn't really, I wasn't, I died in the sea and I'm making all this stuff up. I'm a dead person making this stuff up. I don't know if you ever saw that movie Ghost with Demi Moore and mm -mm. there's such a rally. So he gets shot and, and she's, they so in love, but they end up communicating through a Whoopi Goldberg who's a medium. <laughs> yeah. And now I think, ah, oh, this is happening to me. I'm communicating with these guys, but I'm not really here until I could feel the blood and the, the pain and bashing my head and then paddle back out. And I mean, we talked, I, I think for my mates, you know, everybody says how terrible it was for you. I, for them, yeah, I mean, I knew exactly where I was. I knew what my fate was going to be. That, imagine waking up in the morning and one oak's not there. And they've got no idea. I mean, they searched that boat from top to bottom to see if there's any blood. Because at least you know what's happened to you. I know what's happened. They've got no clue. They got, they're heading back out into a 220-kilometer stretch of water, not even knowing. Must have felt like an impossible task. It's, it's an impossible task. Impossible. And yet, my one mate, helicopter pilot, got... He was so good with his mapping on the map. He, he got to within 80 meters of me. 12 hours later, I saw them and I couldn't get there. And they sailed away again. I mean, Mark still says to this day, he was in the skipper's cabin guiding the boat because he, he's also a skipper. And he said he looked out to the right and he said he swore he saw me. And he said, skipper, we've got to, got to do a loop around here. And the skipper said, no, because our boat was so bloody full of water. So he only wanted to just go one way. And I mean, when it's you just got, so radical. When you got home to your family, what was that like? To oh, see, it to was see them just again. insane. It was insane. I so I, I I come from the travel industry and that, so I managed to get hold of AXA because I knew it was just going to be carnage. I mean, already when I got to Jakarta, there were the newspapers were there. They just I flew back on my own and I was just lambasted. I mean, I literally ran friends of mine from YPO the YPO chapter of, of, of Jakarta just came and they were like bodyguards. I mean, they surrounded me. They took me into the lounge. I had quite a long way layover. 
And it was so radical. I phoned my wife from the airport there. They gave me a landline to phone her. And she said, have you looked at Facebook? And I said, are you mad? I hated Facebook. Facebook, you're Facebook, a hooker, look, or You were on the news all over the world. All over the world. They're just these pages and pages. I log, and I'm just crying and crying. And then the same, the poor little hostess in the business class lounge comes to me and says, Mr., are you okay? Are you okay? I said, yeah, I've just been through a radical experience. Look, she sits down with me. She starts, starts reading crying. The we're reading these articles. We're, we're sobbing together. I nearly missed my connection. <laughs> anyway, thank God, make it back. And while I was in Jakarta, I'd phoned friends of mine to just, I just said to them, look, please, when I see my family, I don't want TV around. I don't want people around. I just want my family in a little room. Can you organize it? And they said, all, all done. Flew on to Singapore, phoned him again. He says, all sorted. Singapore, I had my two, two of my best mates who lived there. They were waiting for me. They came and joined me. We went, went into town, had a lovely lunch and a catch-up. Went back to the airport for the night flight, landed in Cape Town, walked out, and I didn't, didn't even have a chance. They, they press. They, they, I was just mobbed. I mean, I just there's a picture of me. I just got my kids and my, my wife in my arms, and we were all just crying. And next minute, my son was ripped out my hands. My mum was told off by SABC2. Carte Blanche got hold of me and scurried me in a corner and tried to get me to sign a, an agreement. Eventually, we just, I just said, guys, I mean, I, I just lost it. I just grabbed my family, and they, they managed to take us out the back. And we, they, there was a car waiting for me there, and I was taken home. It, yeah, it just changed my life 180 degrees, man. And I mean, how, just kind of coming towards the end here, how has this changed the way you see the world? And what are the things that are most important to you? Well, I, I, I have now, if, if those who've read my book, um, I think publishing a book was the most cathartic thing I ever did. It was so hard to do. But it really just put everything out there. And in it, I talk about my, my three Fs, faith, family, and friends. You know what I mean? I, I, faith for me is a journey. It's, it, I don't have all the answers. I don't think I ever will. But I'd really, I, I grew up in a very religious childhood. But having gone to army in South Africa, I'd really walked away from the church. But I've always felt like I've got a direct line to God when I'm in the ocean. And, and that was just amplified a hundred times. I went on a whole spiritual journey, which was so radical. And in fact, I ended up talking for the Cape Town Torah High School at the synagogue in Cape Town. And I was at such a crazy place in my life from a spiritual perspective and trying to understand why did I survive? What is my mission? What is my purpose? And the, and the head rabbi of Cape Town, I went to him and, I, and, and he, he asked me to talk. And I said, look, I've got this whole issue with how can I talk? Because I, I, you guys, I mean, Virgin, the Virgin Mary, I saw the Virgin Mary. I, he said, Brett, we want you to tell your story. We, it's not from a religious perspective. We want you to it's tell your story. It's just an amazing story. So I, it was one of the best nights of my life. I mean, in the, in the, old, in the old synagogue, which is now the, the museum, there were there were 300 people there. It was for 10 kids that were all going out into the world. And what the rabbi wanted me to talk to them about is resilience. You know, they're going out into this. Some were going to New York, others to London. And I remember finishing the story and just crying and crying. And the whole audience was crying. And I walked up to the rabbi afterwards and I just said, thank you, thank you for helping me. And, and he said to me, my son, that is what... I said, because I just can't understand my purpose. He said, that is your purpose. It's not about creed color religion it's god wants you to tell the story because you can inspire and help so many people 
And it, from that moment, it was just like this most peaceful, I can accept that, I can understand it. And hell, I mean, I've talked in, I don't know, 11 countries to over 75,000 people around the world. It's just been, I get opportunities to come on Josh's podcast and the feeling of telling your story is such an amazing one because, I mean, I've, I've done a few shares at a few events and it's be- beforehand, I find there's a little bit of like anxiousness. But once you start sharing yeah. and people start relating yeah. and uh, understanding what you've gone through, you know, um, I find the peace you get from that yeah. is just unbelievable. No, it is. I mean, I, I've learned so much about human nature. I've hasn't been an easy road. I mean, I've lost some friendships over all this. Um, but, you know, from my side, I, it, it just brought me back to, as I said, my three Fs, faith, family, and friends. And, and I find when those three are in sync, I never, I, I, I have no issues. My life is just so peaceful. And I, I don't think anyone can have a peaceful life every single day unless you're a Buddha sitting up in some little cave and not being bugged by anything. But the things that stand out to me, I I was the biggest proponent of chasing money. I mean, money, big jobs, that's what I did my whole life, you know, and that that was the only goal in life. While I was in the ocean, not once did I ever think about my bank balance, what car I drove, what house I lived in. All I thought about was my relationship with God, my relationship with my family, and and my relationship with the people I really care about. And some friendships have ended. Some, I've, we've, many people have gone on different paths. But I can honestly tell you that if, if, if those things, if, if, if you focus as a human being on those things, I've never had a money, problem with money since taking that philosophy in life. And I've been through some tough times. I mean, COVID smashed us. COVID's hurt so many people. There's always food on the table. There's always beautiful people around me. I'm always in the ocean with my surfboard talking to God. <laughs> And life is just epic. I feel like we're, we're told so much what we should be striving for yeah. in life. We're, we are. We're told this is how you should be or this is what you should be doing. Yeah. And um, sometimes it takes events like this or moments like this. Maybe yours was a bit more extreme than, yeah, than other people's. <laughs> that's why I always hope the story gets to people that they don't have to go. I just they can, I hope they, they, can they go don't have to go you. through something as extreme as this to make the realizations that I was forced, well, ended up making because of such a radical circumstance in my life. That's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I started this podcast. And today I've been so quiet. Usually, usually I talk so much and everyone's like, shush, shush, shush. But I've just been so enthralled in your story. It's, yeah. I mean, it's such an inspiring story, you know. And um, one of the reasons I started this podcast was to bring people like you on and to share their story. Because not everyone, I mean, I've talked to ex-gangsters. I've talked to... Uh, ex-addicts i've talked to people that were lived in cults now i'm talking to you you know and these are all um experiences that a lot of people don't have and will never have hopefully so you get to understand it from someone else's perspective and go you know a lot of the people in places like the cape flats and uh they they watch Mm. my podcasts and they go oh i'm a young kid this guy was also recruited into a gang at my age sure maybe i'll take a different route you know yeah and the reason the way i found out about you was i asked people that follow me on instagram and said i'm looking for interesting guests please can you recommend some and this guy says you need to get on brett his <laughs> story whoever you are well done buddy <laughs> i forgot his name now but he said your story is unbelievable and it he is was, it's just he was definitely uh, not wrong 
It was definitely not wrong. Yeah, it's a radical story. But anyway, thank you so much for coming down thank here today. Thank you, Josh. Thanks thank for sharing you. your story and getting vulnerable. I know it must be must be tough kind of bringing this up a lot no, of the time. No, it's not. I love it. I, I, absolutely, I just absolutely love sharing the story. And people say, aren't you tired of it? And I, the, how can you get tired of <laughs> having a blessing that you're still here every day and seeing your family and you get a chance to talk to God and you got great people around you? You can never get tired of that. And I mean, you know, to wrap up, I always like to say to people, you know, Life is difficult. I mean, one of my favorite books in the world is is by Scott M. Peck, The Road Less Traveled. And the opening line in that book is, life is difficult. And it is. There's no ways you can, anybody on this planet, doesn't matter who you are, can look at it and say, life's just a beautiful cruise. It's not. There are difficulties in every step of the way. But it's how you deal with them. And And for me, having gone through such a radical experience, there's not a... I used to think I was having such a bad day, you know, we're like a long work day and this and that and my car broke down and I've got no petrol and it's just I, not I think important. back to you, it's just not important. It's not important. If you can go home to someone you love or even if you have, don't have anybody in your life, you can go home and you look yourself in the mirror and you really like what you see and you, and you know you can work on that and make it a, make your world a better place because if your world's a better place, you're going to make the people around you's world a better place. And, it's it's so simple, but sadly, simplicity is so hard to to live by. And I just love sharing this story. I, it's it's not hard or anything. I just love it, and I hope people can take something out of whatever it is. One little point, you know, if they can take one little thing out of it that changes their life or puts a smile on their face, that makes my day a good day. Learn to love the little things. Exactly. Within all this chaos that we live in. Exactly. <laughs> the simple little things. But anyway. So awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on. And I hope, you, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Wide Awake Podcast. And we'll see you next week. Cheers.